Uh, if you notice my wife and I wearing white, it's not because we're bougie. Uh, we were asked to do this because today, finally, uh, we get to find out what the gender of our baby is. And we are super pumped, super excited. Absolutely. And so um, we weren't going to do this originally. Actually, uh, I had really wanted to wait until the delivery to find out what uh, the gender of the baby was going to be. My wife was never going to do that. She's like, I'm going to find out. I won't tell you, but I'm going to find out. And uh, when we announced to our leadership team about <coughs> the baby coming, immediately they put together a plan to do a gender reveal. And how can you deny such amazing people? And so we said, fine, that's cool. And we don't really know anything uh, about detail-wise, what we do know is that the theme of it is how I wonder what you are, kind of a star, twinkle, twinkle uh, kind of theme. And, and I really love that. And that kind of sparked uh, this sermon today. Uh, a number of years ago, probably four or five years ago, I did a sermon called Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. We were in a series on nursery rhymes, and, and uh, I wanted to, to kind of go back to that. And I always felt like that can, can yield a number of different messages. And so um, you know, to me, stars are interesting because being from Chicago my whole life, we don't see many of them, right? Like we kind of maybe see the Big Dipper and we kind of see a star or Venus. I'm not sure which one it is, but it's one of those things out there. And that's the about extent of it, right? And, and the first time I actually saw stars, I was blown away. I was like a, a small child. As a matter of fact, this past June, I was in South Dakota uh, speaking at a camp, and we were up in the mountains and, and near the Badlands, and there's no obstruction, and I was just walking and staring up. It was probably not smart to do that, but I was just staring up in the sky all night. Like, I waited till like 2 in the morning because they're like, it's really bright at night, so I waited, and I stood up, and by myself, I guess it was really creepy if a kid saw me, I'm just wandering through the woods staring at the sky, and they even gave me like this little app that tells you what all the different constellations and stars are, and, and I was just like, wow, God, you're a show-off. Like, you could have just done a couple of things, but you just, in your infinite wisdom and majesty, were like, hey, check this out, stars. And, uh, and I've always just been blown away uh, by stars, and again, being from Chicago, we don't get many of them, so Growing up, when you hear twinkle, twinkle, little star, I'm like, yeah, that's all we got is one little star. Um, but as I was doing my research for this, I discovered that we were shortchanged at CPS, and they didn't give us the whole poem. Uh, we only get a bit of it, and, and most of that you might remember. And so uh, because this is Youth in Action, I'm going to boldly ask that you would indulge me for just a second. And would you be willing, along with me, to repeat the twinkle, twinkle, little star? Let's, let's go. One, two, three. Three, twinkle, twinkle, Oh, very good. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Give yourself a round of applause. Look at that. Sounds like New York had a different version over here, but we're going to ignore that part. Here's the deal. That's what we've been taught. That's what we know, and it's cute, and it's nice. But this is actually a much longer poem, and it goes beyond those couple stanzas. See, right after that, it says this. When the blazing sun is gone, when he nothing shines upon, then you show your little light, twinkle, twinkle, all the night. Then the traveler in the dark 
thanks you for your tiny spark. He could not see which way to go if you did not twinkle so. In the dark blue sky you keep, and often through my curtains peep, for you never shut your eye till the sun is in the sky. As your bright and tiny spark lights the traveler in the dark, though I not know who you are, twinkle, twinkle, little star. See, this poem is, is a, a traveler who is showing his gratitude and championing on a star. He, he's looking at it saying, man, you, you keep going, star. Thank you so much. Keep on shining because you, you allowed me to figure out how I'm going to get to where I need to go. You are the only source of light in this world of darkness. Thank you, little star, for pointing the way so that I don't have to wander aimlessly lost in the dark. Now, this might be a little foreign to us because we uh, have now electricity and lights and we're in a big city and all the light pollution is actually what prevents us from seeing all the different stars in the sky. But see, there's a difference between that artificial light and the light that God has provided in the stars. This rhyme, again, is about uh, this little star that did what all stars should do. It let its light shine. And because of that, people who walk in darkness were able to find their path. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2, and this is kind of actually the, the core verse for my gender reveal, it says, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky. <laughs> we live in a warped and crooked generation. We live in a world that is increasing in darkness, where things that before we never imagined what happened are beginning to happen, uh, where it's beginning to get harder and the days are getting darker. Part of the prayer for my child and the world that he or she is coming into is that they would shine so that they wouldn't walk aimlessly in darkness, that they would shine so that others may see the light of Christ in them. See, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, he raises you from the dead and puts his light inside you. So in a sense, we all become stars in a dark world. Let's look at the Bible, though, because in the Bible, there's a story about a traveler in the dark and how a star came into his life and shined in a way that changed his trajectory forever. If you have your Bible, we're going to look at the book of Acts. And we're just going to look at a small story in Acts chapter 8, just about 11 verses. Listen to what the word of the Lord says. It says, as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down to the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and met the treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Canadac, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Uh, just pause there for a moment. Most scholars believe uh, this was a descendant of the Ethiopian uh, queen that had visited King Solomon uh, several, several years before this incident. So what we know is this Ethiopian who is part of uh, the royal courthouse is in Jerusalem for a time of pilgrimage and worshiping God. And the Bible picks up in the moment where it says that he was seated in his carriage and he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet of Isaiah. Now, this would have been a really expensive scroll to buy, but he was a keeper of money, so we know he had a little bit in his pocket anyways. Now, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, 
How can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who could speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? By the way, if you are waiting till you reach some magical level of spirituality to get baptized, here's a good reminder that the moment you get saved is also the moment that you can go get baptized. He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Here I believe Philip uh, gives us several examples of what it means to shine like a star what it means to be radiant, what it means to do the thing that God called us to do. And if you're taking notes, the very first thing that I see happen when stars shine is that stars shine in darkness. Stars shine in darkness. See, Philip was doing great ministry before he was taken away for this moment. Uh, in the area of Samaria, there was unbelievable revival breaking out. The Bible tells us that people were being added to the church on a daily basis. Okay? But suddenly, he's told by the Lord to go to a desert road. Not even another city, but a road in between two cities. He goes from great revival in the city to a desert for one person. In the middle of nowhere. I think often, we limit our shine to this room. We limit our shine to this one hour and 20 minutes we spend at church every Sunday. We think that because we serve once a week or for some of us once a month that we've done our duty and we've shined as we've been asked to. And I don't want to totally diminish the work that we do here and the fact that we come together every week to worship the Lord that is important, that is vital to the Christian walk. But think of this. Stars never stop shining. They're always shining. The problem is during the day, the sun is much brighter. So you don't need the light of stars during the day because the sun is doing the work. See, here it's bright. The sun is shining. Literally, the sun of God is shining in this room. There is brightness. This is not necessarily where we need you to shine because as we all come together, it is already bright in here. But oftentimes, we've outsourced this ministry of shining to the pastor. You know, we, we've relegated evangelism to I'm going to bring you to church instead of understanding that the church was called to go out. And so we, we bring them in, and the excuse is, well, I invited them, but they didn't come. And the other thing is you got to remember, that's not the only invitation you can give. The same invitation of salvation that a preacher gives at the end of a sermon is the same invitation of salvation you can give at the end of lunch. As you're sitting with this individual, as you're shining your light, as you're walking alongside the carriage, and you're talking to them, you have this opportunity to do exactly what God has done. And so stars are called to shine where it's darkest. Not necessarily where it's the brightest. You were made to shine, or I should say your light shines brightest when the night is darkest. Matthew 5, verse 14 through 16 says like this. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. 
Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. I know it's scary sometimes, but we have to be willing to shine brightest where the world is darkest. Now, that's not an excuse. I don't, I'm not saying, like, go into the clubs and, and start shining in the club, like, hey, I'm shining for Jesus while you're dancing and getting drunk. That's completely different. All right, that's putting it under a basket. What I mean is reach your neighbors. Reach your coworkers. Start with that. Start with the people you see every day. Then you can start moving on to people you don't know. Then you can start building relationships with people you don't know. But are you taking the time to shine brighter outside of here than you are trying to shine in this room? This is something that as a pastor, I'm convicted by on a regular basis. To say, have I limited my ministry to a pulpit and a stage? Am I willing to reach out to somebody who I haven't seen, to have a conversation with someone that present the gospel in a way where it's not on a pulpit but on a street corner? We have to be willing to shine because that is what God made you to do. God called you to shine in a warped and crooked generation. In time, the sun of God will shine. But our role is to lead people to that moment. Our role is to be out there where no one else is and shine as bright as possibly can. Now, again, this world is doing everything it can to block your light, uh, to have artificial lights create enough pollution where we don't notice your light. But shine anyway. Shine in such a way that people will notice. And be willing to shine even when there's not a crowd, even if it's only for one. Because another thing that I notice about Philip, if you're taking notes, is that stars shine for everyone. Stars shine for everyone and by everyone, and I know that doesn't seem grammatically correct, but I mean every one person. Going back to Philip, as I mentioned, revival had broken out in Samaria. People were being added daily. And yet in the middle of this great revival, God asked Philip to leave the city and go to the road for one man. Leave this great evangelism that's going on. Leave this great revival that's happening because I got one guy that I want you to talk to. Luke chapter 15 verse 4 says this, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one who was lost until he finds it? I think oftentimes we measure the success of ministry by the amount of people. This is a pressure that, uh, from a ministerial perspective, we often have to guard ourselves with. By measuring the success of a church by how many people. This church has 2,000 people. Thus far, it must be an amazing church. This church has 30 people. It must be a bad church. That's how we, in our own sinfulness sometimes, in our own carnality, we view the success of ministry. What if, let's say, our back-to-school bash, which was a wonderful event with hundreds of people coming through, what if all the money, and it's a lot of money to put on that event, all the effort, all the time, everything we did for that event, what if that entire event was really only meant for one child, one four-year-old? In our eyes, would that event be a success or a failure? And I think if we're honest, we would say, we don't need to do that again. Only one kid got saved. But what if that one kid saved five others? What if those five other kids saved 12 others? What if each of them saved 12 and each of them saved? I mean, 12 disciples changed the entire world. 
But again, we, we oftentimes think, well, it's not worth it if it's not a big thing. It's not worth it if we're not reaching 100, reaching 1,000, if we're not growing by multitude. Well, you know what? I've discovered in youth ministry and, and doing this for so many years, we've done, we would do these big events and we'd have hundreds of kids come out, but then maybe three come back the next week. A lot of them were at the altar. A lot of them said yes. And I don't diminish the fact that maybe many of them said yes to Jesus and somewhere along the lines that seed was planted. I totally understand that aspect. But I want you to understand from the ministry perspective, we did all this work and, and not a lot of people would come back. But when one kid, saved, one kid gets saved every week, that's over 50 kids a year. It didn't seem that way on a weekly basis. But when you take an outside view, a long-term view, which is what God has. The Bible says that God sees the end from the beginning. He's not looking at your one event. He's looking at the event of humanity. And he understands that one person, that was my plan. I pulled you away to go and talk to that one person. We have to be willing to put as much effort into one as we would 1,000. We have to be willing to give everything we have, to go out of our way, to leave our comfort, to be willing to get up, and go to a hospital, even though you're not the pastor, that may not be your job, to say, hey, listen, maybe this one person, maybe it's worth it. There's been a number of things, and i just be honest, there's been a number of things that I've done for one. I'm just thinking right now, I'm looking at the Vargas family. I have my newest Vargas come in. I've had like 19 generations of Varguses go through my ministry. One of those Varguses, many years ago, I had agreed to go to her play. And it was, this was months in advance. I was, yeah, I'll go to your play, no problem. And I totally forgot about the play. And the week of the play, she reminds me, hey, just a reminder, the play is this Friday. Now, I happen to have Bulls playoff tickets. That's to show you how long ago this was. The Bulls were in the playoffs. I had Bulls playoff tickets. I had never been to a playoff game. This was insane. But the game was at the same time as the play. And so I'm struck. And the Lord speaks to me and says, you told her you'd go to her play. So I spent all day trying to find somebody to get the tickets. At least buy, I didn't want to waste all my money at least. So I, I got somebody to buy the tickets. Nowhere near what I paid for them, but at least I got them off my hands. I drove out to this play, this like hour-long high school play. The child had one line. One line in the entire play. <laughs> I'll never forget it. Her line was, yes. <laughs> Three letters. And I was sitting there like, one, one word. One, I got flowers, Charlie, like, one word. <laughs> Took flowers away. I was like, it's one word. You're not getting... <clears throat> Why am I telling you that? Well, it was one word, but that family is still family to me. And that game, they lost. Duh. <laughs> and I have a better memory of that one play than I would have of that one game. Because you got to be willing. Listen, I would have done that if, it was, if I was speaking, right? If I was speaking to a crowd of a thousand, oh, I can't make the game. I got this opportunity to speak to a crowd of a thousand. I wasn't even preaching. I sat in a chair with the other 57 Varguses, and we watched this one play. But church, we got to be willing to do stuff like that. Because it's those one moments that people remember for lifetimes. Amen. Speaking of which, stars shine not just for the one, but even after you reach that one, stars shine so that people can find direction. When you look at this story, 
the Bible tells that Philip was walking alongside the carriage and the Ethiopian asked him, or at least Philip asked the Ethiopian, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, well, how can I understand it if no one's here to explain it to me? Stars are meant to help give direction. For centuries, it was the stars that gave directions to the world's travelers, to the world navigations, to those who were discovering new lands. They were discovering it by the direction of the stars. When Phyllis asked the Ethiopian, if you understand, let me remind you one more time what he says. He says, how can I, verse 31, unless someone instructs me, and he urged Philip to come into the carriage and sit with him. Look at this picture. Philip is walking alongside the carriage. God called him to go there, and he's willing to walk alongside it. But there has to come a moment where you're willing to get in the carriage. A lot of times we're willing to come alongside somebody, but we don't want to get into their life. That's too much of a commitment. That's too much of an obligation. Hey, I'll sit with you in service. I might even explain a word or two, but disciple you? I don't have enough time to commit to that. I don't have enough time to show you how to read the Bible, to show you what it means to pray. I got my own stuff going down. But we have to be willing as stars to give direction. We cannot limit discipleship to a starting point class upstairs. We can't limit discipleship and relegate it to the leadership, to the deacons and to the pastors. You who are saved, you who have a relationship with God, you who know something, and here's the deal. You don't have to know everything. We're not asking you to be theologians. We're not asking you to be Bible scholars. Teach what you know, not what you don't, okay? And it's okay when somebody asks, well, what does this mean? Dude, I have no clue. I'll figure it out. Uh, we, can, maybe we can talk to pastor. We can ask one of the leaders. We can ask somebody else. We can Google it. Yes, you can Google it. There's a lot of great answers on Google. Not all of them. Don't believe everything. But there's answers. There are more answers today to biblical writings than ever in the history of all of humanity. You are more equipped to teach and raise somebody up. There are more resources that can guide you and help you do that than we've ever had before. But here's the deal. There has never been a substitute for someone coming in your carriage to help you. Because you can hand them the materials. You can send them the links. You can tell them to listen to this sermon or that sermon. But there is something different about coming into a carriage. People pay billions of dollars for personal trainers. Why? The gym equipment's there. They already have the membership. They can do it. They need someone to get in their carriage and not just show them how to do it, but hold them accountable to doing it. To say, listen, I know you haven't been following your diet because we're tracking everything. You got to keep up with it. And listen, you hate the trainer in the middle of it, but you love them when you get the results. We have been called to be spiritual trainers. Everyone, everyone in this room who professes to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are now signed up to be a personal trainer. To take someone else who's new, take someone else who's fresh and say, hey, listen, I wasn't born knowing and neither are you. So I'm going to show you what I know, I'm going to teach you what I know, and I'm going to help try to guide you as much as possible, and if nothing else, we're going to become really good friends after this. What would happen if everyone, there was an old term back in the day, well, during the slavery times when uh, illiteracy was huge among the slaves, and if one learned how to read, the term was, each one teach one. That slave would teach another slave how to read, and literacy began to spread because each one teach one. What would happen if in the church we took it seriously and each one taught one and said, hey, listen, let me come alongside you? What would happen if the greatest spiritual teacher of your teenager was not Pastor Joey but you? And the kid came up to me and said, hey, listen, I, I know 
what you meant in that sermon, but scripturally you were a little bit off. And I'm like, oh, all right, cool. <laughs> this is what God has called us to do. Please don't assume that I am the sole source of your child's spiritual walk because they love you more than they could ever love me. And they watch you more than they ever watch me. And they're willing to learn from you if you're willing to teach. And again, if you, like me, for so many years have no kids, understand there are plenty of people, young and old, who need someone to just put their arm around them and say, brother, sister, let me show you. Let me teach you what it means. Learn from my mistakes. Let me show you what it means to love the Lord and, lo and love him forever. There's been a number of important people in my life that have done that for me. I've been in ministry now 11 years. I never went to Bible college. I didn't go to any special programs. I didn't have any special credentialing. There's no reason Pastor Carlos should have hired me on a resume standpoint. Amen. It's, uh, this is going to come up in staff meeting this week. <laughs> She's going to give you a cocotazo for me. <laughs> Here's what I had. I had pastors, friends, who said, Joy, let me teach you. Pastor John sat me in his office on a regular basis. This is how you put a sermon together. This is how you talk to people. Pastor Carlos would sit me in his office. This is how you counsel somebody. This is how you walk through budgets. This is how you manage the situations. I had wonderful men and women, because I needed some women. I was a young pastor. Joy, this is how you interact with ladies. This is how you're supposed to present yourself in front of the young ladies. This is how you're supposed to correct a woman. This is how you're supposed to do these things. All the things that I needed to learn as a young leader, as a single leader, I needed men and women who were willing to come alongside me and love me enough to teach me how to love other people. If I have any success in ministries by the grace of God and the willingness of people ahead of me who are willing to just put me under their wing and say, let me show you what it means to love the Lord. Paul said, follow me in as much as I follow Christ. He's not saying he was Jesus, but he's saying, listen, let me teach you what the Lord has taught me. If we could each learn to do that, this place would blow up. If we could each learn to do that, we would be the stars in the heaven that God talks about. And you have no idea how long that light shines for. Pastor John hasn't been here in 10 plus years, and yet that light continues to shine. And the man who shined on him the man who shined on him, Pastor Carlos often will talk to me about Pastor Impaglia and Pastor Durso and Pastor Simbola. I feel like those are my spiritual grandfathers because they poured into him and he poured into me and I will pour into this next generation and they will pour into the other. See, when stars shine, they shine brighter and longer than you can ever imagine. As a matter of fact, that's the fourth point. Stars shine longer than they live. Stars literally shine longer than they live. Let me explain this to you. Light travels at a speed of 1,008, I'm sorry, 186,000 miles per second. 186,000 miles per second. <clears throat> the nearest star to us is the sun. It takes 8.3 minutes for its light to reach us. So when you look up at the sun and you see that light, that's been traveling for 8.3 minutes by the time it gets to you. The next closest star is Proxima Centauri. It takes 4.3 years for its light to reach Earth. In other words, when you look up at Proxima Centauri, you are seeing light that started shining 4.3 years ago. Other stars, it takes thousands of years for its light to reach us. 
So you are literally looking back in time. You are literally seeing something that shined thousands of years ago. Some of those aren't even there anymore. When you let your light shine, you have no idea how long and how powerfully that light will shine for. There are people in your life who may not come around now. Shine anyway. There are people in your school, young guys, ladies, there are people in your school who are going to ignore you, who are going to laugh at you, who are going to tell you, get out of my face. Shine anyway. I'm at that age. I've had people 10, 15 years after high school find me on social media and ask, are you still a Christian? Because I need God in my life. Shine anyway. There are people in your family, in your life that you've been ministering to for years, and you're sitting there going, man, I don't know what the point is. The point is shine. Because you have no idea in some of their darkest moments when the light needs to shine the brightest, and they're reminded, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The only Christian I know was, was Joey. Let me, let me see if Joey's willing to talk to me. Daniel chapter 12 verse 3 says this. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like stars forever. Forever. See, people may never remember your name a few generations down but they remember your impact. People don't remember what you say, but they do remember how you made them feel. They remember these precious moments of you shining. They remember these precious moments, and when they need it the most, they remember where it came from. We have to be willing to shine even when we feel like nobody's watching anymore. We have to be willing to shine even when we feel like light pollution is drowning out our brightness. We have to be willing to shine because in those moments, when they look up for hope and it's a world of darkness and they may not see the sun, maybe they'll see his children. Maybe they'll see the brightness of those lights. Worship team, if you can help me out. I was reading an article. This year um, is the five-year anniversary of uh, the 21 Coptic Christians who were martyred in Libya. I don't know if anybody ever remembered that. Uh, but in case you didn't, about five years ago, or four years ago, I should say, there were 21 Christians who were kidnapped in Libya, and uh, these men were lined up on a beach by terrorists. I, I thought about putting a picture up, but I just thought the image uh, was a little disturbing. This rocked the world at the time. Uh, if you don't remember, you might remember the picture they were in orange jumpsuits, lined up along a beach. Terrorists held knives to their necks as they yelled out their propaganda for the camera and then proceeded to martyr all 21 of those men by beheading them on the beach. If you don't understand who the Coptic Christians are, they're a minority group from northern Egypt, which is one of the most persecuted areas in the world for Christians. Christianity Today published an article about the event this year, and I want to read to you an excerpt. It says, 20 of the men were Coptic Christians from Egypt, all from the same small area 
and identifiable by small crosses tattooed at the base of their thumbs. The 21st Matthew was from West Africa, perhaps Ghana, no tattoo for him, and his captors are said to have told him to go. However, he said, I am a Christian and chose to share the other's fate. Like them, his demeanor facing death was extraordinarily peaceful. It is this event, willingness to die, that with his last whisper they yelled, Ya Rabbi Yasua, O my Lord Jesus, that has led to them being hailed as martyrs by the Coptic Church. Later in the article, there's a quote by an author named Mosbach, who had written a book about the events. In this book, it says that Mosbach interviews a bishop who asks him why he is so curious about the martyrs. The bishop says, this is not a Western church in a Western society. We are the church of martyrs. I take no special risk when I say that not a single Copt in Upper Egypt would betray their faith. As Mosbach says, well, if they were indeed your average young men, then the bar for what is average has been set pretty high. Why am I mentioning that? It seems a little off based on everything else we've been talking about. But if you research a little bit about the Coptic church, you'll find that this church has been a minority in a predominantly hostile Muslim area for over 1,500 years. They've been hunted down. The Egyptian government doesn't even want to really make a head count of how many there are because they're afraid there's more than they are comfortable with. Over and over again, they are persecuted. But when you study the Coptic church and you look at its history, you will find that they believe they can trace back their heritage to the Ethiopian that Philip reached. The Bible says that the Ethiopian never saw Philip again. But from now on, he knew the Lord. Bible doesn't say anything. It's silent on this topic. But church history tells us that the Ethiopian ended up going back to Ethiopia, which at the time constructed a larger area of land than what modern Ethiopia is, and began to evangelize and preach the gospel, which eventually led to this minority group, the Coptic Church, which eventually led to 21 men who, with peaceful hearts, were willing to give their lives for their Lord and Savior. Don't tell me one person. It doesn't matter. Don't tell me that shining your light won't go longer than you ever thought or imagined. See, you, you, you think it's your kid right now. You think it's just your child. But one day you might have somebody, you, you know, one day Josh got saved and then Joshy got saved. And then what if Josh is the one who walks my kid through the ministry? Because this man said yes to Jesus. See, we're all tethered together. Somebody reached you and you reached somebody and somebody's sitting here because they got to you and you get to them and we got to this family and this kid reached that parent and that parent reached that cousin. There are literally whole families in here because one begot the other, begot the other, begot the other. Because light shines farther than you ever thought you could. Because when you are willing to be as bright as the day is dark, you will see lives changed. 
And there will be someone in heaven that you would have never been even alive to meet that'll say, I am here because 200 years before I was born, you reached my great, 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 great grandmother. And you would have never known about me. But you are a chain in the legacy of faith that reached me. Church, it's not just your unwillingness or your shyness to shine. You are literally preventing someone's entrance into heaven simply because you don't have time or you're shy or you don't know enough or you're not ready. All of you know enough to be ready. All of you who have accepted Christ are equipped because of the Holy Spirit to do everything God has asked you to do. All I'm saying is, are you willing to shine? Are you willing to be as bright as God made you to be?